Hello and welcome to this podcast from the Pod Nuts World Service. Please let us know what you think and tell other people about us on social media. Podcasts from the Pod Nuts World Service are supported by Pod Nuts and advertising. Hey, hey, Podnutsians. Welcome to DDG episode 16. This is door-to-door geek owner and operator of Podnuts.com. And I want to say, first off, thanks everyone for all the support and emails. Very cool. And I have to, first and foremost, talk about TechCon Unplugged uh, 2019, September 20th through 22nd in Korean Rapids, Michigan. Uh, This event is going to be held at the Holiday Inn at the Grand Rapids Airport. It looks physically very, very close to the airport. Um, This is basically like a Podnuts event. This is an event uh, sparked by Jeff and Paco, a host of Tech Life on Podnuts and uh, Computer Repair Podcast. So it's definitely going to be a heavily business-focused and computer repair-focused event. Uh, I'm also going to say this is going to be a chance for Podnutsians to hang out with Pod with Podnutsians. Um, I have to, as far as I'm concerned, do everything in my power to be there to show Jeff support and Paco support in this endeavor. Uh, and it should be a good time. Um, Jeff is uh, really educated himself in the last couple of years about podcasting and more computer repair topics than he needs to know because he's utterly prepared for all kinds of stuff to hit them. So this is going to be an event where it's going to be helping everybody else learn everything else. And he's going to bring in a whole bunch of speakers to uh, handle the topic. Um, The good thing is I'll say about the prices of this event is one, it's near the middle of the, of the um, country. So nobody's going to have to come an extremely crazy distance. Unless of course you're in the UK. Um, Two, uh, the actual price of the event is uh, $199, uh, which I honestly think is a fair price uh, because what you're getting is more than just uh, tickets to go to the event. Uh, the prices also will cover uh, all meals and all snacks at the event, uh, dinner at Dave and Buster's, along with a game card with some money on it to play games, uh, and uh, all of the content, all of the talks, all of the speakers, all of the um, talks will be completely in that price. So for 199 bucks, you get multiple days of meals. You get a dining card for Dave and um, and um, and um, Busters, and they are working on getting even more free stuff for everyone who comes. So it's only 200 bucks for the event and the food, which is crazy. That is a great, fantastic price. But also, he did work out with the actual ho um. Ho, um, hotel. Uh, it's about $112 a night, I believe. Uh, as long as you go to techconunplug.com and click the link through to register for the event. Um, again, I think it's a very fair, fair, fair price, utterly fair price. Uh, and you're going to get a chance to meet some really good people. Uh, I will say, um, me personally, um, I emphatically trust the morals and, and ethics and resolve of uh jeff and paco for a lot of things including to put on a event um i know for a fact that uh 
you know, this is not something that they just snapped their fingers and said, let's do this. They've been, I've been thinking about doing conferences for more than a couple of years, and I know they have as well. Um, so this will be a great opportunity to meet with Podnutsians, hang out with Podnutsians. Um, I'm pretty confident I'm going to say this out loud. Uh, guys like Marvin are going to try to be there. Um, Matt from Podnuts Pro also going to try to be there. Uh, guys like Martin O. Um, o. Um, Oh, uh, Bando is going to definitely try to be there. Um, John from the Maven group, he's going to try to be there. And a whole bunch more people. Um, I will say, don't wait. If you think there's a good chance you're going to be able to make it, do not wait to buy this ticket. Because I'm pretty sure there's going to be a limited number of tickets. And I do truly expect this thing to be sold out before the event. Um, I am going to buy mine here very shortly. And I encourage everyone else to, to do the same. I will give updates on the progress of how I'm going towards it. But here's the good thing. I literally have like 10 months to prepare and put money aside to make sure that when I go there, there's no surprises or no stresses because, uh, you know, that's not good. So we have plenty of time to plan for it. We have plenty of time to get together. We will have plenty of time to hang out and chat and talk. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is the last thing I want to do is draw any AM, AM, um, tension away from the event itself. I'm literally going there to support Jeff and to support Paco. This is not a door-to-door geek conference where I'm going to be doing anything except partaking in what everyone else is uh, doing. I'm just going to be hanging out, having a um, having a um, good time. Okay, I definitely have some more notes, and I'm actually going to be putting in the notes. Um, first thing I'm going to do is just like a quick follow-up. Uh, we, uh, the last uh, DDG. I was uh, getting a little, uh, you know, like theoretical, ephemeral uh, kind of thing, talking about um, imagining intelligence as being this two-dimensional disc and uh, what you know and what you don't know. And in the short of it is, everybody's an idiot. Everybody's stupid. Uh, Everybody's ignorant on a lot of topics. That's just the fact of life. Um, We have a obligation to ourselves to at least try to keep learning, try to keep expanding what we know. Uh, but we also have to keep ourselves in check. We have to realize that we do have a lot more to learn. Um, I know me, I'm now pushing 50. It took me a long time to think that was the case, but it's every day that passes just cements more and more that yes, we all need to listen a little bit more, read a little bit more, observe a little bit more, intake a little bit more, digest a little bit more, and ask a little bit more questions instead of just assuming that we know things. Um, which, I'm going to move this link up in the notes. Um, it is uh, one of the effects, one of the cognitive biases, is what I'm going to say, uh, that I think is almost um, fascinating. And it's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, I will say, uh, in the world of... Um, Sci, um, sci, um, psychology, um, they do a great job with naming things. Uh, Dunning-Kruger effect is the kind of thing that I think once you hear, you'll at least remember the name itself. Now, I'll say this. The definition of, the, of, of this is a little bit harsh. It's a little bit direct. And some people will take it being a little bit insulting. Okay, But let's just for exercise think that this is talking about somebody else. You know, our cousin, our uncle, a coworker, our old boss, somebody else. Let's pretend it's not talking about us, okay? Here's the very first uh, paragraph 
on the Wikipedia page about the Dunning-Kruger effect. In the field of psychology, the Dunning-Kruger effect is a cognitive bias in which people of low ability have illusory superiority. Can I say that word? They have the self-illusion that they are superior and mistakenly access their cognitive ability as greater than it is. The cognitive bias of illusory superiority comes from the inability of low-ability people to recognize their lack of of ability without the self-awareness of metacognition. Low-ability people cannot objectively evaluate their actual competence or in or incompetence. Wow, that has definitely got some bigger words there. Here's the only way I can explain it to anybody with minimal words. We've all looked at something, especially on TV, and thought, it's not that hard. Well, guess what? 99.9999999999% of the time when we instinctively think that, and I do think it's just human nature for us to think something isn't as difficult as it is, um, until we get the actual accrued knowledge, until we take the mental investment and actually investigate in what we are talking about, we really have no ability to understand how difficult or how complex uh, something is or how much training it needs or how much repetition you have to put yourself through in order for that thing to become second nature. We, as a species, do a very bad job in the um, in the in determining how complex something is in relation to our current ability that's the best way i can put it um i will say i have tried to keep some of these cognitive biases in the front of my mind i literally like review some of these every now and then just to remind myself it is very easy very 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 easy for us as human beings to be able to identify these kinds of things in other people's at the exact second we see them happen. Uh, the example I'm going to use is when I'm driving with my wife in the car and she is behind the wheel. She does things and I literally find myself like, I cannot believe she just did that kind of thing. And at the same time, I know, there's no doubt in my mind, I've done the exact same thing. So why is it I am so quick to judge and criticize when secretly i'll say if i give it any thought i am actually guilty of that very same thing or something just like it but when i do it there's some kind of self-justification going on that makes it seem not as bad um cognitive biases are i'll say real things um it's almost like the human experience uh is filled with certain pitfalls certain instinctual habits that i think that we need to make ourselves aware of and if we do make ourselves a uh, aware of, um, even though it might not change our likelihood of being a victim of these things, it will at least hope us, um, hopefully, make us a little bit easier to identify such a thing. Um, but yeah, I definitely encourage people check out the page on the Dunning Kruger um, um, effect. Uh, they definitely go through the original study and later type of um, studies. And I guarantee you, if you read anything about these studies, you're going to 
And if you're honest with yourself, there is some of these things that I'm sure you would find yourself probably doing the similar kind of thing is what I'll say. I don't think they match anybody perfectly, but I do think there's definitely some hints of everybody in these studies. Okay. Um, the next thing I first honestly want to share, um, a definition. Um, and I'll say this definitions, the one constant is change, including definitions. I truly believe definitions, uh, change all the time in culture and in society. They just move at such a slow rate. We don't really see them happening, uh, unless we pay very close attention to them. Um, but here's one set of definitions. I just went into Google and just said, uh, define documentary. Okay. And it, it basically says, um, as a, as a adjective, it is consisting of official pieces of written printed or other matter. Okay. Uh, and as a noun, it is a movie or television or radio program that provides factual record or report. And I do think those are fair definitions of documentaries to somebody completely new to what a documentary is. But what, what, what I will personally add to this is, especially in 2018, uh, I do believe every documentary is authored or is crafted from the word go with a certain story that the person would like to tell. Okay. There's always at least one organization or one person behind a, behind a documentary. And they're typically trying to tell a story that they know. Um, hopefully during the process, they do learn stuff that actually might change what the story is that they're trying to tell. Uh, and then they would like share that knowledge with us, the viewer or the listener or the watcher or whatever. Uh, but I do believe every documentary in 2018 at least has some sort of, I don't want to use the word bias, but they do have their own little biases that they have from the word go, from the word action, from hitting record on whatever. Uh, and it's just the way it is. Uh, like, like I had a friend ask me for a, the most impartial bias news source that I could possibly find, you know, what is it? And the sad truth is none of them. There is no such thing as completely impartial and unbiased news. They all have their own thing that they want to propagate, you know, and same thing with the documentary. Now, with that said, um, there is one documentary that I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't watch a lot of anything. I, I don't partake in a lot of, uh, things is what I'll say, but there's, there's this documentary that I literally heard about. I believe it was when I did like an okay Google, uh, play news. And then it went through and it went through some news things. And I do believe it was possibly a BBC thing, possibly. Um, and it was basically a, um, uh, documentary that is, uh, coming out on that has came out on PBS. Um, and I keep hitting play and I don't want it to play. Okay. Um, on PBS now, 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 well, here's what I'll say. If you're outside of the United States and you do not have access to PBS or you are within the United States and you literally don't want to go to PBS.org, um, or because of some limitation that you have, maybe the browser you're running is more secure and it won't let you access this. All you got to do is send me an email, mail at podmas.com because I did rip this documentary down to a file and I have the file. Um, when I give someone a link to the file, the intent is for them to basically watch it. And if they want to keep it for later, 
but not to distribute it like crazy because if somebody wants it bad enough, they can get it themselves. Kind of thing. It wasn't difficult at all. I mean, you know, this is 2018. These kinds of things are easy. Okay. Um, okay. The documentary is called the, um, the cleaners by independent lens is the actual company behind it. Uh, and it was actually season 20 episode three in the independent lens series is the way that I gather it. Um, here's the, um, tagline for the documentary. Uh, social media sites have been under intense pressure to monitor and delete offensive pornographic and incendiary posts. Compassionately poor, um, compassionately poor training the Filipino workers who comb through thousands of online images in the dark of night. The cleaners exposes the dark side of information technology. Here is what I will say about the documentary first and foremost, and that is A, I see no evidence of any facts in this documentary. Uh, I get the impression that they did fly to the Philippines and they did sit down and interview former employees because all current employees have a uh, non-disclosure type contract they have to sign that they cannot talk about. Uh, None of these people are hired directly from Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever network they are doing work for. Um, They all work for third-party companies. That's partially so the big companies don't have any direct links to these people. Um, A little bit of obfuscation is, I'm guessing, they think good. Um, And this is like, but, okay, now with that said, with all that said, there's, you know, you have to take, look at things with a skeptical eye. I always think and I always try. But here's the thing. Knowing what I know about computers, about Internet, I've been using the Internet since Gopher and Sailor back when I had to dial into the library to access the quote-unquote public part of the Internet kind of thing. Um, back before the days of even uh, local dial-up ISPs kind of thing. Um, back then, there was definite disgusting dirt, um, hate-filled things on the Internet. And the biggest difference back then was we did not have these megalithic sites that attracted behavior, but instead we had individual sites like 4chan or whatever, where you had to go look for this kind of content. And only rare would you actually accidentally stumble across inappropriate or pornographic or offensive kind of content. Um, Some people might say, well, back then we were less sensitive to it. No, we were always this sensitive to it. The difference was it wasn't up in your face, okay? The likelihood of us logging into a BBS or completing a normal search on search.com or altavista.com and then clicking and being and having hate stuff or violent stuff or incredibly violent stuff pushed in our face was the likelihood was near slim to none. Granted, it could happen, but it was very not popular, okay? Now we have these megalithic silos of information, Facebook, Twitter, blah, 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 whatever. Name whatever one you want, big or small. It almost doesn't matter because here is the kind of truth that happens. When you get that kind of mass adoption, that kind of mass usage, uh, the government of wherever country that these things are located at are going to want to have some level of influence on the platform, whether it be to just bring down hate speech about the government 
or if someone's doing genuine threats to other people on the network. Um, and because, you know, the information superhighway we call the internet is not built to regulate, is not built to censor, is not built to hide things, um, to, to go back and clean it up is a hell of a lot of work. Um, there is no AI. There is no machine learning that can do this task. There is no AI, there is no machine learning that can do fingerprint accurately. There is no AI, there is no machine learning that can do facial recognition accurately. There is no machine learning, there is no artificial AI that even does DNA matching correctly. A human, in the end, always has to make the final calls on those things. And it isn't just because the justice sixth, uh, system needs a quantifiable expert to vouch for the results but the expert is the only one who can take the actual end information and actually definitively say whether or not something is an actual match or not so when you get you know when someone posts anything from a beheading to something pornographic the ai can only do so much now because of all that said Yes, I'm absolutely sure there are some algorithmically generated things that are helping these people target in quicker on bad stuff. Yes, of course it is. But you also have to remember that these algorithms are in direct competition with the other algorithm, the algorithm that makes them money, the algorithm that tries to drive viral content around and to get people to share, get people to click, get people to send to friends, get people to spend more time on the platform. They're in direct competition with each other. Um, and which one do you think is going to win? Which one do you think these platforms are going to put more money into? Which ones do you think these platforms want to be more successful? The hiding of content or the encouraging of more people interacting on the platforms? I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, uh, now, now, uh, supposedly these uh, contractors in the Philippines, and I do believe that there's at least two other countries, uh, at least in the last congressional hearing where they had uh, Twitter, Facebook, and somebody else. I can't remember who it was now, um, but they had three of them there. And in this documentary, you see them talking. They admit to about 30,000 people who are doing these filters, who are acting as content um, moderators, I believe it was. Content moderator is their title because, you know, the more syllables makes it sound less harmful or, or less impactful. Um, but, you know, we, they have like 30,000 of these people getting paid nothing, like, uh, like, you know, three bucks a day kind of dirt money, even though, you know, these companies are raking in cash hand over fist. They're literally paying people pennies to go through these pictures and see the most disgusting things available on the internet and then say, this isn't appropriate. And I'll say this. Um, if you go to 4chan back in the day and you go to 4chan today and you just browse, you will see equally disgusting stuff. Okay. Do not be fooled that this kind of stuff just doesn't really happen on Twitter or doesn't really happen on Facebook or on LinkedIn or wherever, wherever, but it all does happen. You just have been lucky not to see it. Okay. Um, there's nothing about this documentary that is family friendly. Not what this should not be shown in a school. Okay. No, this is not family friendly. This is actually anti family friendly, but it's by the very nature of the content. 
This is the content that people want to not see. These are the contents that companies want to hide. This is the content that really can traumatically affect somebody if they see the wrong video. I mean, really, pedophilia, uh, but, you know, people getting their heads cut off, all kinds of stuff can be put on the public internet. If you allow people to post video, that means you allow them to post video, and all kinds of things can happen on there. Uh, I don't want to take part in any mass social media website because I feel like me being there, then I approve of what these sites are doing, that I approve of the content that they have, that I approve of their monetary model of data mining me to the nth degree, creating profiles against me, and then pushing ads at me. I don't think it's good to support those systems. Um, now, to take it to the absolute extreme, 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 to me, it's almost like being in Germany in the early 40s and say, well, everybody else is, you know, in the army. I mean, they have our best interests at heart, right? They're doing what's right by the country kind of, you know, things that people tell themselves in, in times. Um, and I don't want to partake in such a ecosystem. I think adding anything to it, adding my eyeballs to it is literally adding fuel to the fire, is literally putting money in their bank accounts to pay these people pennies a day to do this kind of disgustingly dirty work. Um, the alternative is hand, like dare I say, locally sourced, handcrafted, um, uh, organically grown, small social networks. Uh, like Podnuts has mm.podnuts.com. That's a mattermost server. It's right now being hosted on, I believe, DigitalOcean, um, where, yes, if the government puts a contract out onto that server, they can see everything that we're typing. Yes, it is not incredibly secured. It's not perfectly secured, is what I'm going to say, but it is genuinely secured. No random passerby without granted access or literally hacking into the website, we'll be able to see any of the conversations we have. So I hate using these words, but it's a safe space. And when I say safe space, I don't mean a safe space. I mean, it's a private space. It's a space where you don't have to worry about being judged. You don't have to worry about outsiders saying anything. You don't have to worry about, you know, content moderators to deciding what is right and wrong. On that Mattermost server, it's literally just human decency. Um, if you cuss on there, I just ask you don't go crazy. You know, don't just make it every word that you type or else you will get kicked out because that's the way it is. Uh, we as human beings are naturally tribalistic, hence our politics, hence our politicians, hence our sports franchises, hence the Olympics, hence everything like that. We are a tribalistic people. We thrive on tribes we have to have tribes um and uh, uh just, just one quick follow-up to that is uh yeah, yeah yeah um uh crash course u.s history i'm gonna mention that one more time because honestly i think it was a really good uh thing to watch for me um but one of the things that i kind of grokked from it, i hate using that word grok too i hate using that word grok um but one of the things i think i took from it was um at least in the united states history and I'm going to guess most of the world, this is actually unbelievably accurate. Um, but elections in the U.S., I'm going to say this slowly so I can get it right for myself. Elections in the United States have nothing to do 
with facts, has nothing to do with evidence, has nothing to do with anything tangible, ever, ever, whatsoever. It always has to do with feelings. It always has to do with emotions, which is really, I mean, shocking to me being the Vulcan guy who doesn't talk to people for most of his life. How can you walk into a um, ballot box? How can you go to give your vote and let your feelings drive the result? I think that's like part of the reason why in the whole Congress, the Senate, and the House, it was some insane number, like 88% of everyone in that position came from a lawyer law based background. There's like, you know, no scientist, there's no engine, there's like one engineer. I mean, the numbers are crazy low for diversity where what you have is people who their profession was going into a room and just convincing somebody that their client was right, whether you're defending a killer or whether you're trying to put a killer away. So it's basically whoever was best at spreading the BS and make it sound credible and make it sound believable are the people who are in these offices, not the people who have our best interests at heart, not the people who are the most educated on any kind of world topics, not the kind of people who understand economy, not the kind of people who understand natural resources, not the couple pe- you know, the kind of people that understand anything fiscal. You know what I mean? They just understand how to argue and twist things. You know what I mean? Um, So to me, that's not really good. Uh, When I go into the ballot box, if I let emotion help me pick, it's just the emotion of disruption, disruption, which means primarily I don't want incumbents to be in, in the office. But I will tell you, here's how emotion or feelings for me was the right way. Uh, In the state of Maryland, we are ridiculously democratic. Um, Massachusetts might say they are. California might say they are. But, you know, we... We all are a little bit crazy is what I'm going to say, either left or right or in the middle. But um, like Sp- Sparrow Agnew was the Republican governor. And then we had a 30 year stint. We didn't have a re-um, re-um, Republican governor, I believe it was 30 something years. Now we've actually had two in the last 20 years, which is phenomenal for this state. It's amazing. But it, it only came... Because everyone, in, at least I talked to, said how upset they were at the Democrat who preceded these other governors. Um, and I'll say um, the re, the re, um, re Republican governor in office right now, L- Larry Hogan, uh, my emotional response to what he, everything that he's done is he didn't really mess anything up. W- you know, he did all right by me. He lowered the easy pass toll that I use every day going back and forth to work. I mean, if there's one way to buy my vote, you do that. Uh, the other thing he did, which I thought was very um, shocking to see a Republican do, is what I'll say. Not good, bad, or indifferent, but I was definitely shocked to see him do it. Was he literally, uh, I want to say it was something like 100,000 uh, free college tuitions for local people to community college kind of thing. It was... And that to me was shocking, very shocking that he would do such a thing. Uh, I personally like the idea of enabling people who cannot afford to get education to get a higher education. I really believe 60% uh, of what's taught in college, if not more, should be taught in high school. Uh, I don't think there's a reason to hold back. Now, for certain really 
uh, expertise-driven things of life and death, like doctors and surgeons. I understand that being college only, you know, no, no doubt about that. But uh, him doing that, to me, I, it was good for the state of Maryland. I emotionally want things that are good for the state of Maryland. I, I personally crave smaller government, um, more savings, being more efficient, and then doing more for the individual taxpayer, which I know is an oxymoron to do both. But it would be nice to me to try to work towards that. And he did, to at least some degree, work towards that. Uh, so he got my vote. But I tried to base all my decisions like that off of facts, off of evidence, off of history, off of things that actually happened. I try not to be emotionally driven with my votes. Uh, but from the history of this country, when you look back at the individual elections, it does seem like that is overwhelmingly how things happen. Okay, um, next thing I want to talk about, I honestly want to just cuss everybody I know out. I want to tell them off. I want to be so upset at them because I know somebody out there knew about this and they didn't tell me. Um, Weird Al Yankovic was the main character in a cartoon on Disney for, I believe, I think it is two seasons. Uh, and I had no idea. And it, it literally went on the air uh, 2016, went off the air 2017. And I did not know this even existed. This is Weird Al. I mean, this is a guy who I personally believe is one of the most ethical, moral, stand up nice guys to be successful you know what i mean nice guys typically aren't really successful it just seems like maybe i don't know i think but this guy genuinely comes off to be an unbelievably nice guy cordial guy best intentions doesn't have weird crazy habits doesn't you know um scream at the top of his lungs how bad somebody else is kind of thing he basically just entertains um and he had a cartoon called milo's murphy's law uh where basically he is the main character and everything around him goes wrong so he is like the human form of murphy's law when he's around expect something to break something not to go right something like that uh if you look at the cartoon it is obviously drawn by the same people uh who did phineas and ferbs in my opinion in the very first paragraph it does state that it is in the same universe as phineas and ferbs and phineas and ferbs is to me the example of the kids cartoon that actually does try to teach at least something to the kid at the same time being funny and being entertaining uh with a little bit of political correctness in it because it's a kid's cartoon but at the same token uh, they actually do, in my opinion, uh, some genuinely good, clean comedy and tries to tell kids about some basic things about life, is what I'll say. Okay, um, the next couple links in the notes are going to be things that, um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the first two links a a after this are going to be just things that I had to sit down and, like, read and try to understand a little bit better um in the united states on the new on the new um nutritional label um all of the numbers are based off a 2000 calorie diet which i do believe is going to change in the next year um to be more like the normal american diet um but uh a couple of the things that i did not really understand was um fiber dietary fiber carbs uh, and sugar alcohols and sugars. Okay, this is the kind of thing that really confused me. So I had to actually do a little bit of reading. And then here's what I gathered from it. 
uh, carbohydrates are like starches, long sugars, okay? Uh, dietary fibers are other forms of food that basically counteract the carbohydrates before the carbohydrates have a chance to do whatever they're going to do inside your body. So if you eat something with 10 carbohydrates and then you, in that same thing, it has five dietary fiber, then your net carbohydrates will end up to be five. So it's the total of 10 carbohydrates minus the five dietary fiber will then equal out to a net carbohydrates of five. Now, so when you eat something, and if you're trying to be utterly meticulous with your numbers, my logic is you count it as only five carbs, but my logic is then you don't go crazy with dietary fiber. Because if at the end of the day, hypothetically, it's 100 carbs, but then through dietary fiber, you got it down to 50, I'm sure you didn't actually get it down to 50, you know. It's going to be somewhere around there is what I'm going to say. Um, so I try to do carbs when I do. I, I try to make sure that there's some dietary fiber in there as well just to bring those numbers down. I still do really good with my um, uh, total carb count. I usually get below 20 to 30 carbs a day still, which is, you know, that's my real goal. Okay. Now, sugar alcohols I gathered are basically the same kind of principle towards sugars except it's not that easy to do the math on. Um, I'm sure somewhere there's an actual formula, but what I got was basically uh, if you have like 10, 10 grams of sugar and you have five sugar alcohols, then you'll be down to like seven grams of sugar. It's like half impactful, but it is still impactful counted, which is why like um, coconut, I believe it's one of the things that actually had high sugar alcohols in comparison to sugars. So it made it less impactful on the sugar front. Um, so those are things that I think you need to know if you are trying to go for the keto type foods or you're just being very cautious and apprehensive about your sugar intake. Um, and to me, that's like the good things to know. Okay, now now there's going to be at least three, uh, two links is what I'm going to say. Uh, one is... Here's how keto dieters will embrace Thanksgiving. And the next one is um, uh, from Pop Sugar. And what this one said was, on the keto diet and headed to Applebee's, choose from these low-carb dishes. Okay, this is the kind of FUD. Fear, uncertainty, is doubt. This is the kind of misinformation. This is the kind of disinformation that, to be honest, gives keto a very very bad name and they're completely inaccurate okay the gimmick is keto is not low carb keto is not low carb keto is high fat low protein and lower carb just because it's such high fat if you're going to try to measure how many how much fat you have based upon how many calories you have, you want that to be a higher percentage, which means everything else has to be lower. Okay. If you just eat low carbs, you are not keto. If you just eat low carbs, you are not eating keto. Period. 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 That's, you know, just saying something is low carb and then saying it's keto. I feel like the old woman 
on the progressive auto insurance commercial and talking about Facebook. And I just want to throw my hands up and say, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Okay. I really despise seeing all these clickbait things trying to hop on the keto train and completely misleading people. This is to me an example of how journalists, now we all know this. We all have to believe this. We've owned cars in our life. You take your car to a mechanic. Might be a good mechanic, might be a bad mechanic. There's plenty of bad mechanics out there. Dentist, you go to a dentist. Might be a good dentist, might be a bad dentist. There's always bad dentists out there. You go get heart surgery. The surgeon might be a good surgeon, might be a bad surgeon. You know there's bad surgeons out there. This is an example to me of there are really bad journalists out there that literally do near zero research and just publish things hoping to get clicks. And the worst thing we can do, the worst thing we can do is take this, post it publicly, huh? I'm bringing it back. Post it publicly and say, look at this guy, he's an idiot. Okay, that is the absolute worst thing we can do because there is another cognitive bias in play that uh, has been proven multiple times where if you're told something is inaccurate, if you perceive something with this is not accurate whatsoever, and then you tell somebody a pack of lies, and then you follow up with, and none of that was inaccurate, there is a high likelihood some of that is going to remain in that person's memory as being an actual fact because they heard you say it. They forget the fact that it was mentioned as a lie. They just like in newspapers when there's you know the following day in small print retractions. Nobody remembers the retractions. You only remember the headlines. Okay, same kind of principle there applies. So anybody out there reading an article, or you are in the the um, uh, checkout line at the grocery store and you see a keto diet thing, you have to remember. People out there are trying to purposefully mislead you just so you look at their stuff, just so they get eyeballs, just so they get ad revenue. Keto is easy. High, high fat, low protein, and lower carbs. And I do believe in one of the DDGs I did, there was a link to a three-part video series from an actual doctor talking about you know, the troubles and the trials of being keto and what are some of the things you can do like olive oil or, you know, a peanut oil kind of thing to help get your numbers up, um, your fat numbers up, that is. Um, then there was like another book here from a Men's Health Best Keto Cookbook. I know I looked at only like one or two. And this is, again, not good. Not good at all. Um, you don't need a cookbook at all. All you need is common sense. You just turn over whatever you're looking at. You look at the numbers. Does it have low carbs, like no sugars, and like low protein? Well, then you're on the right path, okay? If you want food to make pretend like it's other food, if you want almond flour pizza, well, then you're going to have to put a lot of more extra work into it, and you're going to have to really be sure of that. But you've got to remember, you're not going to remember the fact that it's not real pizza after a while. You know people who live in the stinky neighborhoods, they're like horribly stinky neighborhoods placed by my work called Curtis Bay used to have a soap factory in it. And it was horrible, horrible stank. Um, I knew people that lived there. And when I went over their house, I noticed how horrible it smelled. And then by the time I left their house, I, I then noticed I couldn't really smell it anymore. We become blind to things after time. So if you keep eating this fake keto pizza kind of thing, 
your mind's going to sooner or later just equate it with normal pizza. And then you're going to start to feel like, well, I can eat normal pizza too. I personally believe that's how the brain works. That's why I do not eat fake foods. I do not eat something that looks like something I remember to eat, but now I can't eat. So I'm going to lie to my body and say, well, this is keto pizza. So it's perfectly okay. Um, no, I just don't partake. Um, there's no better way to me than to be, uh, absolutely honest with yourself. Um, the only last thing I want to put in here, the notes, I'm going to take out at least a couple of these links at the very end. Uh, and that is, there you go. Um, we not, okay. We are stupid. There's no getting around. Okay. If you actually were able to look back at yourself and your settings and your surroundings and people, you know, we all are stupid about a lot of things. We stumble through every day to some degree and we come out the end and we go to bed and we wake up and we do it all over again. Um, but here's an example of just how little we actually know about anything. Um, uh, there's a scientific discovery um, in the last uh, two weeks, I want to say, that basically confirmed another study from years and years and years earlier where basically there's a new life form on Earth. You know, everyone's worried about, you know, are we going to find life on Mars? Uh, how do you fight cancer kind of thing? Um, entirely different kingdom of life is an example of the most basic, basic, basic biology on this planet. And there's an entire kingdom that we don't know. Um, okay. Um, you, um, eukaryotes are, uh, one of the basic forms of life on earth. We are pro, we are chemically prokaryotes. Eukaryote is like an earlier version of, uh, of like a lot of life forms on earth's earlier biology. Essentially, a prokaryote has an extra piece in it with extra DNA in it, um, uh, where it actually is the mitochondrial uh, DNA. So, if you take that part out, then you're a U, then you are a U eukaryote. And there's a brand new type of eukaryote that was described back in 1998, uh, but it wasn't actually confirmed confirmed until very recently. Um, So, what? The, and all I want people to take away from this kind of thing is, uh, you know, we can look at um, self-driving cars. We have, you know, open heart surgery. We have types of brain surgery. We have marvelous dental stuff we can do. We can do fake legs. We cured polio. We can, you know, transit the earth. We can send things to the moon. We can send things to other planets. We can send things outside of the solar system. We haven't even mapped the entirety of the earth. Um, there's plenty of other life forms uh, deep down in the sea that we just don't know about. But this was literally in a scoop of dirt outside of somebody's office. Okay, All around us, I think there are unbelievable numbers of things that we do not even begin, we, not, we don't even broach to understand yet. Um, and it's literally right around us. And we're right now just discovering this kind of thing. Um, one of the things I kind of believe, I think I believe, I'm pretty sure I believe, is I don't think there will ever be a time in the human existence time frame from the first human being human to the last human being human that we will not have questions that we don't have the answer to. 
we will always, there will always be things outside of our scope of understanding and knowledge that we as humans will be striving to understand. I question, because there is no logical reason for it to be the case. So I have to believe we as humans might not even have the cognitive ability to know everything in the universe. We might not have the cognitive ability to understand 1% of what's going on in the universe. We might not have the ability to learn more than 1% of everything going on in this universe. Um, And I'll say I'm okay with that because that's how everything works. Um, In science, for instance, uh, Mark Cockrell on Android AppX, one of his... uh, one of the things he realized is there is no such thing as being perfectly exactly precise in science. And what I mean by that is you can pull out a measuring, you can pull out a measuring device of any kind and you can measure something and you can say, that's an inch. In actuality, it's never an inch. It's never an inch. You have like a one in a quadrillion chance of that being an inch. It's like ridiculously like one to a million to the power of a the, um, the million of it being an actual inch. It's always going to be a little bit more or a little bit less. But now you have to take that same inaccuracy and you put it across everything. There's nothing in this universe that we've ever taken a measurement of and we were actually exact. We were actually precise. We were actually down to like, you know, the plank distance in accuracy kind of thing in anything because that's, you know, that's the little bit of wiggle room that we have with science is there's always going to be that little bit that's not perfectly accounted for. And that's just science. You know, I mean, that's why we give some people some medications and it works, some people other medications and it doesn't work because this is not exact. This is not perfection. Science should not equate per um, per um, per um, perfection because science is not perfect. I embrace that is the way I put it. Other people look at it as, well, that's a detriment. That's why we can't believe everything that it does because it can't be accurate. Well, nothing can be accurate. So let's just embrace that. Um, And a related story that there is no note for is that the kilogram got redefined. And this is one of those things that uh, Derek from Veritasium went over a little bit in the past. And here's the gimmick behind the kilogram. Um, Like a foot is not a foot is not a foot. You can literally go to the hardware store, buy three different tape measures, pull it out to 10 feet long, and you'll get three different distances, okay? Um, Because it's made up. These are human-created categories and labels that we put on stuff. A foot does not exist without humans defining what a foot is, okay? That's just the truth. These are human-created things. Um, Same thing with the kilogram. Now, the kilogram was attempted to be more accurate they were trying to make estimates saying it was like uh, a kilometer was like one ten thousandths of this and the kilogram was you know this specific physical physical measurement okay and then what they did was they made platinum iridium weights five of them i believe was or some number of them they tried to make them exactly perfectly the same as they could and then they put them in key areas on the globe to say here's your reference point when you as a country want to standardize on a scale, like doing weights and measures of a kilogram, here's what you can compare it against. Here's how you can know if the scale is accurate, which is all fine and dandy. 
But what scientists found out was the act of moving those items across the seas in airplanes changed the weight. Time. This was one of the most stable elements they could find back in the day. It was one of the most stable elements they could find. And over time, the individual pieces are randomly diverging in in weight. Now, it's not much. It's not much at all. It's not much even close to much at all. But they are changing. Okay? I've said it a billion times, at least to myself and a couple times to you people, is there's only one constant in this universe, and that is change. So to have a weight based upon a physical item and expect it not to change is planned chaos. Okay, so here's what they did. Using mathematical operations, they're basing the kilogram off of the root of the equation on how you figure out what a new kilogram is. The first starting point is Planck's distance. Now, the problem is the Planck distance, because of being on such a quantumly small scale, we knew it was around this small range of numbers. So what they did was they did decide to say, we're not going to have it be a small range of numbers. We're going to have Planck's constant be this one number. And that's what we're going to claim in all of our science what it is. Because we know it's right around there. We're going to say it's that. And that's going to be our standard to start this formula to determine how much a kilogram is. Now, the benefit is there's a lot of other things that also pick up this same equation fundamental to base what they are. So more things also came into tighter um, measurement potential besides just a kilogram itself, but like an amp is now much more tightly regulated to a key number. And what this means is the old kilogram, let's say over a thousand years, the definition of a kilogram would then change. And, you know, it would be hard to say which one is now the right kilogram. With this type of measurement in the future, we are much more confident for much more hundreds of years from now. If we take something that is a kilogram now and we compare it versus something, you know, a thousand years from now, we should come out to the same thing. Okay. Consistency in math and time and matter is not an easy thing to do. And these people think that they have a now a way to do it moving forward. That's what I like about science. Science is not about perfection. Science is about getting these things better, getting these things a little bit tighter, getting these things a little bit more accurate day after day after day. And unfortunately, sometimes they're so slow. We as people don't realize anything has even changed until we just take for granted that it is what it is. Now, the good thing is that the, that the actual definition of a kilogram is going to change by so little that it's not going to affect 99.99999% of the people on the planet Earth. The people who it is going to affect, it's going to affect greatly because these are the people who like work at NIST and that actually retro measure everything back to a kilogram. That's one of like the dirty secrets. Like if we sell grain overseas. All of the calculations, all of the tabulations have to go through a a NIST process where it's basically converted to kilograms because that's what the rest of the world uses. So even though our internal scales will say, you know, 12 pounds, 13 ounces, when we ship it internationally, it has to change. And that's what they use to figure out these conversions. So for those kind of people, it's going to mean a certain amount of assuredly moving forward that they are going to be consistent for some length of time. And to me, it's the kind of thing that's actually very important, 
and it's the kind of thing that is going to impact us. It's going to impact the world. It's not going to change the world. This isn't Bill Nye kind of stuff of changing the world, but it is going to be at least important to some people. Uh, and, 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 and to be honest, I think that kind of thing is uh, kind of uh, fun to learn about. It's important overall. Uh, and it's just the kind of stuff that I think is good to know about that we are constantly making progress there is more news than just bad news. There is definitely more news than just bad news. Uh, unfortunately, you got to look for it. You got to find it. Uh, but I definitely think it's something that we can all do, which just takes a little bit of time. Um, I want to thank everyone for their support. Thank everyone for their emails. Thanks everyone for their uh, feedback. Uh, thank everyone for their do, um, donations. Um, thanks to everybody and all, and honestly, all the guys with their long-term support as well. Uh, you guys have enabled me to uh, get what I need, when I need, why I need kind of thing. Um, even though my main laptop's seven years old, I don't need anything else because if I did, I would already have it thanks to you guys. Um, do not forget, you can open up any pod catcher, search for pod nuts. You'll find all kinds of shows on Linux, on computer repair, on business, uh, computer repair, uh, how to deal with active directory, how to deal with office 365. Uh, how to set up a domain, how to clean a virus off a computer, where to go to learn to clean a virus off a computer, and a million other things. Um, if you can, leave us a review. Reviews are really one of the really solid ways you can help the network. Um, our goal is to not become stinking rich. Our goal is not to have 2 million downloads a week. Our goal is to find like-minded people, become a community, and help each other and support those who support us. Uh, kind of thing. Yeah, that's like the definition of family to me. Uh, and with that, I will definitely talk to everyone again real soon. My name is Jeff Houch. I'm the host of Podnuts, the Computer Repair Podcast, where we take live calls on the air to answer your questions on running and operating your computer repair business every Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. You can check it out over at podnuts.com forward slash computer repair podcast live. Music provided by Steve Cherubino at stevecherubino.com.